1: Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, week 13 in the books. Our conference championship games are set. Uh, the regular season is done. We've, we've got some, some win totals that we got to cash in on from a, from a locks perspective. Barton Simmons, your final, your final regular season week in the books. Championship week is here. Heads are rolling in coaching. We will get to some of that, uh, both decisions to keep head coaches, decisions to move on from head coaches and what may come next. But, uh, but as a whole... You know, do do you feel like we have hit a good a good launching point into our our final playoff playoff run here? You feeling good about the college football season?
0: I yeah, I think that the this thing closed in style. Right. Uh, I mean it was a it was a fun final weekend. Um, so much so that it, it creates uh, a little bit of a um, conflict for us trying to decide how to how to dig in. You know, with all this coaching stuff going on, you know where, where to start. But I think. Uh, there was enough to chew on from this weekend to, to where, you know what, there's finally even a little bit of, of drama surrounding the playoffs for the first time practically all year. So um, plenty uh, plenty to to, to to chop on here today.
1: So we've got, uh, as you know, we're going to talk about the playoff picture, we've got history that was made with LSU crushing that plus three, giving Chip a lock fight win against Barton. We'll get to the Texas <laughs> A&M uh, 74 72 win against LSU in college station in seven overtimes. Uh, an early shout out to my friend Taylor zarzer on the call there for surviving. Uh, you know, he has to, he Barton, I don't know if you know Taylor, but he also does the PGA tour for Sirius XM. So he's, he's had to do golf tournaments that probably were wrapped up quicker than, uh, <laughs> that LSU, Texas a and M game. But, uh, we got to begin with Ohio state and, and the one statement that kept ringing in my head. Uh, You know, I I do the tomorrow's top 25 today and it's that whether you were tuned in for every bit of the Dwayne Haskins and Ohio state offensive onslaught, or if you were, maybe you it was, it was rivalry week, a lot of writers, a lot of media members, a lot of fans, your, your attention was elsewhere. But when you put a 60 friggin' two on the board against a Michigan defense that we have heralded to be among the best in the country, there is no overstating the impact that that is going to have on the college football consciousness. You were early early to the station on saying we need to prepare ourselves for what this Ohio State team is going to look like. And we jokingly called it the most repulsive 10 and 1 team that we had seen in the entire country. How do you reassess and readjust the way that we look at Urban Meyer's Buckeyes going into championship week as they will they'll be heavy favorites. Oklahoma will be a favorite, not a heavy favorite, but we'll get to the Sooners in a little bit. How, how, like, what lens are you using to view this Ohio State team, particularly sitting here on Sunday afternoon, where we still have to wait and see what the selection committee is going to say in terms of what their playoff opportunity might be?
0: Yeah, we uh, we we prep people for this. We did. I mean, we, we did. <laughs> I prep hope they were for ready. This. <laughs> now, now, even this was, it played out. Unlike I expected – I mean, shoot, I can't remember if – were we all on the under? I was on the under in this game. Um, and, and so I think my expectation was that Ohio State's defense would be able to handle Michigan's offense in a way that maybe they hadn't some of these other schools that, that had given them trouble like Maryland and Purdue and Nebraska. Um, but what I did not see coming – and what maybe I should have seen coming, what we all should have seen coming, I think in retrospect – like this wasn't one of these seals where like, oh how you know, how did this even happen? Like in you know, in what universe did this happen in? You know, in in, in hindsight I would have I, I wouldn't have even seen this coming. I think now that we saw it, I think hindsight 2020 and we we kind of can see the signs of this, I think it's easy to understand that Ohio State was a passing attack with the horsepower unlike anything Michigan had seen to date. That said, like they, they made Michigan look slow, right? Like they made Michigan look totally outmatched against that offensive attack. So, um, I, I mean, I I think it's it is a bigger like I, it is a bigger statement than I would have even anticipated we could have been calculating right now. I mean, yes, I saw a very clear scenario where Ohio State could win a scenario where they put up 62 no it feels a little bit like the Wisconsin deal in 2014 when um, they were a candidate to be in the playoffs but no one really expected it and then they just totally cleaned house on Wisconsin 52 to nothing or whatever it was and then and then it was it, it they sort of forced everyone to recognize that they were deserving um, I am I am considering Ohio State even more than I anticipated in a win just by the, the the sheer force of nature that that offense was.
1: But how far does that consideration extend? Because if the consideration extends to Ohio state over Oklahoma for a fourth spot in the playoff, and you're going to be going up against Alabama, then I'm like, all right, cool. But I mean, some of that is also based into my feelings about Alabama. But if, if it's Ohio state over, um, I don't know a, a Ohio state over a, a Georgia like that's, I think that the the question becomes a little bit more interesting where we haven't had a two loss team in the college football playoff and Georgia looks like a very strong uh, number four, probably in the college football right. playoff rankings this coming year. So yeah, if, if you're going to give Ohio, if Ohio state puts up 62 again against Northwestern, that offense is high flying, looking fully up op- death stars fully operational i i still wonder if that is uh, if that's a position where the buckeyes are going to be able to look past needing three fourth quarter comebacks against conference opponents and not really looking to be dominant i mean the the selection committee has already made certain statements based on the way it has treated the buckeyes to this point do you think that the one result against michigan will be enough to totally throw everything else from the season out the window.
0: Well, I think it's a matter of what, like who they'll be weighed against because they don't have to jump Georgia if Georgia loses to Alabama. I mean, you're not going to put a two-loss Georgia team in over this Ohio State team. So ultimately, it's about the 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 points of consideration here are do you – comparing Ohio State to Oklahoma, and I guess if you want to throw UCF in there, you can – but but basically you're comparing them to Oklahoma, which is I think a a reasonable debate no matter which side you're you're looking at it from. Even if you and, and I, I still have Oklahoma above Ohio State, but I but I'm at the point now where okay I will I'm, I'm open to considering Ohio State is more deserving uh, depending on how they finish here.
1: How much? But about- the other but the
0: other but the other, the other scenario then is if Georgia and and you, again you're not going to put a two loss Georgia in over Ohio State or I don't think you should. And then the other consideration is. If Georgia beats Alabama, right, is 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 Ohio State worthy of going in over Alabama? I don't no. think so. So I, I think that you've got a, I think you've got. Look, Clemson's in, maybe even with a loss. Clemson's in, um, Notre Dame's in, SEC champion is in, and, and
1: I Alabama's think Al- in if they lose. Right. I think Alabama and Clemson in if they lose, Notre Dame in. There's three spots. We've got one left. We've got Oklahoma, we've got Ohio State, and I guess you're right. Yeah, we've got we've got UCF. And the SEC championship loser should it be Georgia. And that's kind of where we're at.
0: Yeah. And I still think as we stand here today, Ohio State is is in front of only UCF in that pecking order. But I'm also willing to say here, I mean, Northwestern has proven to be a what I mean I don't know what we're gonna call it, Northwestern. They've proven to be a, they a prove, quality they, win.
1: Yeah, they're Pittsburgh. You,
0: yeah, if you can beat Northwestern yeah, can is beat Pittsburgh. Western, it's a quality win. But I think you gotta you you have to to give yourself a fighting chance if you're Ohio State. You got to do something funky to Northwestern, right? Yes. Can't go beat them thirty-one. You know twenty-four. No thirty-one that, seventeen.
1: That was how Ohio State missed an opportunity last season where a dominant win against Wisconsin probably might have given them an edge against Alabama, but they didn't do anything. And I, I remember sitting in the press box at the Bank of America Stadium. Uh, Clemson just sort of always had the edge. I think it was 38-3 to against Miami. They, 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 they were going to dominate, and we were basically all watching the end of the Big Ten Championship game between Ohio State and Wisconsin where – Alex Hornibrook is throwing picks. JT Barrett is throwing picks. It it seems like a game that no one wants to win, and when that is the circumstance for how Ohio State won, I think it put a big damper on the opportunity for the Buckeyes to jump in over Alabama. Alabama gets in. Alabama beats up on Clemson. Tua comes in. Rest is history. I really, really am fascinated to see how this goes because there is an Oklahoma team – that I really want to see against Alabama and there is an Ohio State team that I am fairly certain will lose by 30 to Alabama. I
0: I yes, like I'm I'm in the camp where
1: they are still repulsive. I still find Ohio State even after this win because and this was where I wanted to take the conversation next. What does this result say about the Jim Harbaugh Michigan program?
0: Poof. Man, that that's this is a bad look. There's no way to paint this. There's a bad look.
1: That was the best team that I've seen, Jim. That was the best team that I've seen all season. They've done everything that you and your brand and your identity and and everything that you preach ha, was laid out there on the field. And there were things that went wrong. Chase Winovich banged up last game. Uh Devin Bush leaves this game with an injury. Devin Bush is an All-American. <laughs> like that is that is not a loss that should be overlooked. But I think that You know, the, the playoff part of this is what we needed hit first, but I think we need to say, what does this say about the Jim Harbaugh Michigan program? Because, and this is, uh, I think Chris Felica put this out there. It was Washington state and it was Michigan. And they had some of those, some of those games where you were like, all right, they can do, if they're going to do this, this is the moment. And maybe even West Virginia was the third one there against Oklahoma with the Friday night right. game, where it was like, yeah. are you, are you going to end this this streak? Are you going to end this big brother, little brother relationship? And in all three scenarios, status quo remained. And in all three scenarios, I'm looking at Washington State, Michigan, and West Virginia, and I'm thinking, it's like, well, it's probably never going to happen.
0: Yeah, and, and yet, in, in, and even in those three scenarios, you had a West, West Virginia team that was just like, that, that went exactly how we expected um, right, just as, buckle as in. As, yeah, just a total shootout, two really good teams with really good offenses, and just Oklahoma's going to have just a little more firepower, and they're going to outlast them offensively. So you, you kind of, you, you know, you, you 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 threw your fastball, and uh, Oklahoma hit it, and you know what? Best, you gave your best shot, and, and you came up just a little bit short. You know, Washington State, hey, it's a snowy, Nasty game that favors Washington style. Uh, we had a great year, but you know what? Like, that's – what are you going to do? You know, sometimes weather doesn't cooperate. Um, who knows what would happen if it was a decent day. But it, but there, those are extenuating circumstances to this Michigan-Ohio State deal. They just got flat out smacked. And so I, I don't know how you paint that and spin it and feel good because it truly – all the work that led to this, it, it really feels like a disappointment now. The one take I don't like – is the like I, I saw a bunch of uh, man Urban Meyer's coaching circles around Harbaugh again. Oh, like Boo. it's not like, <laughs> <laughs> like the, no, there wasn't like a uh, like an algebra equation where it's like whoever solves it first and like Jim Harbaugh's just sort of poking around on uh, on the first step of it while while you know Urban Meyer's on to the next equation. Like it it, it was it was a I thought it was Ohio State had a level of talent that that Urban Meyer didn't seem to have. And that's not I don't I don't say that as an excuse. I mean Urban Meyer is responsible for his talent, but my point is like this game was a was it was a testament to the state of the programs and even when like a down sort of year at 11 and 1, which is still crazy to talk about for Urban Meyer, is they can still be that much better than an up year 10 and 2 Michigan. And so like it wasn't like a, a a bad coach versus a good coach. It was a coach that is a master at developing a program against a coach in Jim Harbaugh that isn't as good as, as Urban in that. So I'm not I'm not saying Urban isn't better than Harbaugh. I just hated the take that he's like out coaching him in that game as if like the scheme was something that just couldn't be touched that Urban had put together. Um, but it was but but in terms of creating a a program that is ready for rivalry games and and brings this a game uh, in the a moment uh you, you gotta tip your cap to urban
1: I think that some of that coaching circles around reputation is deserved not because of the evidence but just because one of these coaches has three national championships right yeah like it's just uh, urban Meyer and Nick Saban. they they are the only. Is Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, Dabo Sweeney, right? The only active head coaches with national championships. Very, very like small elite group. Urban and Nick have done it at two different schools. It was like you said, Michigan looked slow, and that was one of those situations where, like, what it, what have we known about these Urban Meyer teams? Is they are just they're packed with speed, and they just they looked fast, and I wonder if you are Jim Harbaugh and if you are uh, invested in the future of Michigan football. And at this point, all you care about is finding out to wait, finding out a way to beat Ohio state is the answer that you just have to get faster. I mean, it's is like, like where is for, for a Michigan fan who's listening to this podcast right now, Barton, what is your bit of hope other than at some point Ohio state's going to lose?
0: I mean I think one thing that I would hope – I mean Michigan has to – Jim Harbaugh has got to evolve offensively. I know it was really more about defense in this game. I mean you gave us 62 points and I pointed to the offense. But that looked like, a, like I made the, this point on Twitter. Like, It looks like Jim Harbaugh is running the Alabama offense from five years ago. And, and meanwhile Nick Saban – has, has graduated from that. Like he's a, He has, has recognized it's time to move on from that. Urban Meyer was never in that. He's always been sort of setting the pace uh, to, to the next thing offensively. And, and, and I think that Urban Meyer has, I think we saw what it looks like to be a perennial top three recruiting program versus a perennial top 10 recruiting program, which is the difference between Ohio State and Michigan right now. And it, it you know, Michigan, is, is recruiting well enough to I think dominate just about everyone they play until they get to one of these Alabama Ohio states that has the you know the roster of dudes and so um, it's you know I, I don't know like' I, I'm, I'm curious if they just sort of caught them I, I'm curious if how many if they played that game ten times how many times it looks like that you, you know like did, did they just catch them it is is it is it a, is it a is it an overreaction to say that Ohio State is is that m- much more talented than uh, Michigan to the extent that it looks?
1: Yes. like you think it's an
0: overreaction? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I think your answer is that uh, that result out of 10 times when Michigan and Ohio State play, even in Columbus, that result happens two times. I think, we, I think, I think we might have seen the anomaly. And, and look, I, I will build in that didn't we see that with Michigan's performance last week? where they were getting beat by a bunch of crossing routes and there were even some murmurs in the takeaways from that game that it's like, well, if the Wolverines linebackers and defensive backs were getting exposed on crossing routes, good freaking luck when it's Paris Campbell, KJ Hill, uh, Benjamin Victor, and the rest of those dudes running the crossing routes because when they get the ball in space, it's going to be way more dangerous than when Indiana does.
0: And, and, when I when I make that when I ask that question about you know, how many times does this happened out of ten, I'm I'm baking in the the idea that Urban Meyer is and I'm not talking about X's and O's, but I'm talking about is better at preparing his team for these games. Yes, and you know what I mean. Like that's why I think it's so different to be a head coach in college and to be a head coach in the NFL. In the NFL, you're really like it's about yeah. I mean, there's some level of building a culture and discipline, and but really it's about just get. In the lab, hunkering down and scheming, scheming things up, and putting together great, great game plans, and and uh, staying healthy and having a great quarterback, and you know, and whereas in college, it's about recruiting, it's about like molding 18, 19, 20 year olds to create a a culture and and a discipline and a week in week out focus, and that's what when you talk about the greatest coaches in the game, I I'm sure I mean they're all great. X's and O's guys, I'm sure, but that's not what makes Davo Sweeney great. It's not what makes even Nick Saban or, or Urban great. You know, when you throw like when when you know Jim uh, James Franklin's always discusses like this. Oh, but he he gets sort of um, college coaches don't think highly of his you know his X's and O's acumen, but that's not what makes him a great coach. And I think that that's. Was was clear to me in this game more than anything is like Urban Meyer for all his flaws this year and he's taking a lot of heat, but when it comes to a game like that, all the work that goes in in the offseason season in the preseason and even in the sort of focus for this game like Jim Harbaugh is is more about it's this is the next week you know or, you know whereas Urban Meyer I think embraces this rivalry deal and and it, it were and he's a he motivates so well and I just think. All of that, I think, encompasses what makes a coach great, and I don't know that it's not that German Jim Harbaugh doesn't have that, but he—I don't think he's got that to the level of the the great ones like Saban, Dabo, Urban, and and I think that's where maybe the the um, the expectations were were too high with him coming in, like you know no, we shouldn't have ever put him in that in that tier because he hadn't proven he's in that tier yet
1: it is so 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 difficult to be on the right side of the razor thin margins in college football time and time again most coaches aren't and urban Meyer's one of them and that it, and that undefeated record against michigan to me honestly might be more impressive given the 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 games that we've had and that you and I have both witnessed from a pro- professional standpoint like him being undefeated against Michigan might be more impressive to me than three national championships <coughs> like that kind of one-sided rivalry in a game yeah. that means that much to both schools like we we i i, I pull out that line all the time uh college football is not about the national championship. And it's the second that more fans start figuring that out, they'll begin enjoying the sport more. It's about, uh, well, like, you know, beating your rival, winning your home games, this, that, or the other, like urban Meyer has won the game. That means more than national championships to two of the country's most historic college football programs, the blue bloods. And he keeps winning it again and again. And this one might be one of his most impressive wins.
0: Yeah. I agree. That's I, I, I 100% agree with that take and perspective. Um, it is about that is what it's about, and that's why the playoffs are fun to, to talk and argue about. But ultimately, you know, it's about did uh, fans uh,
1: fans come down to what happened this past yesterday?
0: Right, right.
1: Uh, goodness. All right. So let's 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 take a scan around some of the other rivalry games. Um, uh, let's go to Friday night. We had Washington over Washington State, Oklahoma over West Virginia. We touched briefly on that Oklahoma-West Virginia game, sort of the game we expected and the, the Sooners' advantage. Uh, where in your mind does this uh, – because I felt like – didn't you have the – I don't have the locks document opened right now, but the, I felt like we were both in, in the same Washington-Washington State category where we we were leaning – like. The Cougars could get it done, but there's also that same recognition of, yeah, but Washington's kind of owned this. And, you know, Jimmy Lakes, coaching star on the rise, just proved. I mean, there were conditions. And yes, uh, I have recognized from listeners and readers that there were conditions that made the air raid and the Washington State passing attack uh, less effective. But still, man, I mean, that was a clinic in a uh, a Washington team that just has the blueprint for how to slow down the Cougars. And I just, uh, I, I take a step back and I continue to be impressed with, uh, this Huskies program that even when, and I've watched it, I've picked against them. I've picked with them throughout this season. They have rarely been overwhelming in success, but this win, uh, was pretty impressive. How do you, how do you look at the Huskies um, you know, coming out of this victory, going into the Pac-12 championship game, uh, a group that has a chance to win their second conference title in the last three years.
0: Did you see the Jimmy Lake or, or, or hear or read the Jimmy Lake quote after the game?
1: Yes, I did.
0: <laughs> I got it pulled up. So Jimmy Lake, the Washington defensive coordinator, who's a superstar, uh, had this to say about Washington State after the game. We know what type of offense we're playing. They do the same thing year in, year out. This is five years in a row now, so it makes it really easy to game plan when an offense does the same thing every year. Obviously, now with the snow conditions and they can only do one thing, that handcuffs you a little bit. So it's definitely to our advantage, and we took advantage of it. Uh, Question, surprised they haven't tried any adjustments in five years? It does surprise me, but knowing what I read about the head football coach here, he does things a little bit different way. So hopefully he remains here for a long time. That would be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> be, that feels a little un-Washington-esque, um, but I, I kind of dig it. Uh, and it's... I mean, look, if I if had known what those conditions would be if Tom had briefed us on, on, the, on the weather, weather. expectations here, <laughs> I feel like I would have jumped on that. Because I, I did like Washington to win, and yet I didn't want to play it because... It just felt like oh another home night game with Washington State. You know this just feels like the energy and this this thing is rolling. Um, But I think it's it's it sort of reminds us that Washington is still a a good team. It reminds us that their three losses are by combined ten points, and it reminds us that even without a super explosive offense, they've got that's another program that's got the like the foundation is sturdy there, and they're going to be prepared for these big games in a way that that's some of these programs that dip uh may not and by the way next year when jacob eason gets unleashed
1: i'm saying
0: (laughs) as long as they dig up a couple playmakers at receiver i I just i think i think you might need to circle washington next year
1: so i got highlighter on them i got yelled at uh on cbs sports radio uh if you happen to be Uh, a salesman or a truck driver who has to spend a lot of time on the road on Saturdays. CBS Sports Radio essentially has like a red zone type programming from about 12 to 8. I contribute to it a lot. And this Saturday was our conference awards. We do offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, coach of the year, team on the rise, team on the fall, surprise, disappointment, all that stuff. I came out with a Washington as a team on the rise. We recorded in the morning before uh, – we right, I guess right after Washington the Washington State game, and I said, I know this is strange to call the Huskies a team on the rise, but I believe that this 9-3 regular season result is actually a dip and that you are getting a major one-plus win upgrade when you go from Jake Browning to Jacob Eason. And people were screaming at me on Twitter talking about – you know, oh my gosh, Washington is a team on the rise. Are you an idiot? Are you ignoring this, that, or the other? It's like, no, 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 no. I, I really believe that this year was the aberration. The only reason they ended up winning up the division was that everyone else fell back with them. And that I think Washington will be even stronger as a team and probably, you know, right back in that playoff discussion when you go from Browning to Eason.
0: Yeah, and and look, the people are sort of forgetting that they you know they're one of the best players left tackle out for the year beginning of the season um you know they've this is this has been a team that has sort of had both sides of the the sword there you know with with Jake Browning yes he's this solid winning quarterback with grit and but he also limits you and holds you back uh, in terms of what you can do, um, and they've recruited well, and so I'm, I'm with you that they're going to be a, a team to watch, and I, I really think Jacob Eason, um, with a year to develop over there, is going to really kind of make people, uh, you know, kind of remind people how talented he is.
1: Let's hang in the Pac-12 as we move from my failed playoff pick to your failed playoff pick. The Trojans have announced in the last couple hours that they're going to keep Clay Helton around. Do you believe that Lynn Swan, so thrilled with the backdoor cover that J.T. Daniels <laughs> delivered, is go- that that is what won him over? Was it the effort? How about that? Do you believe that Lynn Swan and USC, by the just effort of hanging around against Notre Dame, was enough? To keep Clay Helton's job,
0: I think Lynn Swan had decided he was going to keep Clay Helton
1: before the game and
0: started. Before the game, now I, I think that it wasn't I, my my hypothesis is not that this performance saved Clay Helton's job, but that there was a performance that could have been displayed that could have lost him his job. Like if they had lost fifty nine to ten, then he I I I, I think he's probably fired. Um, but I think it was a it was. A competitive enough showing that Lynn Swan could do what he wanted to do, which is keep Clay Helton. I, I think Lynn Swan is is a prideful dude who thinks he knows better than all of the Twitter the, the Twitterverse and and the columnists and the fans and the people flying planes over the stadium saying fire Clay Helton, please. And I think he's saying you guys stick to your day jobs. Let me run this show here. Don't forget who I am, what my name is, and what I've done. And I think this is his way of, of of kind of big boy and everybody, and saying he's our coach. Calm the f down. You know what I mean. And so that that whether that's the right decision, I mean,
1: look, God, I love being in football. The egos in football are just tremendous. I know, <laughs> right? I know. <laughs> like, like, what is it? Like, is are we are we only like second to politics? In terms of just rate, because you're right. Like Lin Swan is big boying us, and he could be right, but he could also be wrong.
0: Well, I'm very uh, torn. Uh, let me think out. Like here, here's my perspective on this thing. Is like, I in some ways, it's encouraging to see a coach or an AD, I guess, give a coach a chance. Yeah, like Clay Helton's two years. Of, removed from a 10-win season, one year move from an eleven win season. Um, you know, he's two years removed from Rose Bowl win. He's, you know, there there's there's all kinds of and he is a graduates players, good human being, like well liked in the administration in the in the program, all these things. And there's all these reasons to think like, all right, finally an AD is is giving someone a chance here and not just pulling the plug on them and not just, not just caving to public perception. And, and so in that sense, like I'm kind of rooting for Clay Helton to, to get this thing straightened out. And yet the other side of this is I genuinely think that this is, that he is not the answer. I genuinely believe that when I watch USC and I'm talking about from 2016 to 2017 to 2018 players don't get better to me like their offensive line hasn't gotten better the players haven't gotten stronger the the guys are coming in and they're leaving the same way at USC found them and they found them really good like they're five-star players so that means you can get some good seasons out of it uh, but players aren't getting better the uh, Clay Helton doesn't interview assistant coaches he just hires his buddies that that's a little nugget from Ryan Abraham and it makes sense when you look at the staff like there's where is the like this is the what he signed up for in in pursuing a big time coaching job in the Pac12 and at USC is is not the same thing you was you signed up for when you're coaching high school football or when you're coaching D3 football or when you're coaching Ivy League football for that matter like there are levels to this, and he's at a level that is is not acceptable to go five and seven at USC. And so, there, there. When you look at the USC message board right now uh, on twenty four seven sports, like the the like, I'll just read some of the like thread <laughs> titles right now. Uh, like, uh, Lin Swan to everyone telling him to do what to do. GTFO, get the F out. Uh, Let's like, I think I started deleting some of these threads. Same old, same old for USC. Even against ND, uh, who's getting fired? Lin Swan is a complete joke. Staff firing is coming soon. So who goes? Who stays? Uh, if I were a top assistant, die. like just all these, like, I mean, the, the fan base is furious, and I get it. Like, I think I understand it. And if you're if you if you look at Clay Helton and you say, "All right, good guy, give him a chance," that's fine, but he signed up for like different stakes here, and and I don't know that I agree with the decision to keep him, and I don't know that I see this program, you know, becoming a rocket ship in 2019 all of a sudden. Uh, if they're eight, if they if they cycle up to eight and four, or is is that is that something USC fans should be excited about? Like, no, they should expect more than that. So I, I'm, while I'm while I appreciate what Lin Swan is trying to do here. And while I'm going to root for Clay Helton, I don't think it's the right move.
1: Yeah. But all right. So to play the other side here, it is only that you could like, I, I think cycle up could be 11 and one next year. There's just, there's nothing in that division that looks permanent. You know? I mean, we're, we're going to be dealing with a situation where most of the PAC 12 Outside of Washington, Washington State, and Stanford, has changed jobs in the last three years, and with Clay Helton just even having J.T. Daniels and uh, Tyler Vaughns, and then like the 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 rest of that very very talented roster, like I just I feel as though part of Lynn Swan's math when he's trying to say I know what I'm doing and y'all don't know blank. Like, I, I think part of his math is not just knowing what USC has in place, but just knowing the landscape and figuring and betting that USC will be able to very, very quickly get right back to the right side of things. I mean, like, what was prior to Saturday, what was one of Washington State's only Pac-12, what was Washington State's only loss in the season? It was to USC. The difference between teams in the Pac-12 is most uh, represented by the fact that Washington State entered Week 13 as the league's most likely college football playoff team, and its one loss was to USC, a team who is not going to be playing in a bowl and whose coach was on the hot seat. So if I am Lynn Swan, and in that sort of conversation of, you know, if you have all these close losses, then you're actually not that far from, from wins – Perspective of looking at last this season and what next season could be, then I do understand the idea that while the record is five and seven and five and seven is not acceptable, that the difference between five and seven and playing for the Pac 12 championship might actually not be that different, might not be that far uh, when you're talking about the Pac 12.
0: Yeah, but like my thing is five and seven is not, yes, five and seven is not acceptable. Of course, it's not acceptable. Five and seven shouldn't even be in the realm of possibility. Like nine and three should be unacceptable at USC. Nine and three maybe as a cycle down year, um, just to you know. But if you go multiple years in a row where you only win nine games or you win no more than nine games, that's if they win if they only get to nine and three next year, then look, I mean that's obviously that's an improvement, and so he'll get another chance. But if you're going, let's say they're nine and three in 2020 as well, like that's you have. You, USC's not where it needs to be. And I mean Nebraska's fired coaches for going for getting nine wins and it 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 certainly backfired on them, but this feels like a Mike Riley tenure. You know what I mean? Like Mike Riley at Nebraska. Like this feels like a Mike Riley at Nebraska tenure for Clay Helton at USC. Which He's you know it, of,
1: so you're so basically in the Mike Riley frame. So uh Clay Helton is surviving because USC doesn't have another good option it likes.
0: Yeah, I mean that's like I don't know what that might be why. Um, and, and 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 if that's the reason, like that actually could be a defensible reason. Like if you don't. That think is the most
1: get, acceptable uh, argument that I would hear from Lynn Swan. Is yeah. I, if you don't think you can get James Franklin, right? Or because
0: I'm I'm not feeling these NFL names that are popping up. Like you like you can go hire Jeff Fisher or, or, or Jack Del Rio. Uh, nope. Or even John Harbaugh. Like nope. forget it, man. Like I, that's those. How do we know those guys can coach in the in in college football um but so yeah like I but hey UCLA ain't going away with Chip Kelly um you know I mean this I I I, mean maybe maybe Kyle Whittingham would have been the answer um but I I just think uh I'm just not confident that USC is gonna like they should be they should be Alabama Ohio State Clemson They should be those teams every year and I'm not confident that they're gonna be there with with Clay Helton but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I I'll, I will hope for it. <laughs> you know, I want Clay Helton to do well.
1: I'll throw this out there. I think Kyle Whittingham falls into that growing bucket that I've experienced as a professional in this industry where it seems like everybody on the outside points to it and says it would make sense, but for whatever reason, because that's only because we're not connected and those with inside with their finger on the pulse are like, oh yeah, USC fans would never take Kyle Whittingham.
0: Do you think that's the, do you think USC fans would reject Kyle Whittingham?
1: I, I that is one of the or Kyle Whittingham wouldn't come for whatever reason.
0: But maybe I, I would believe that more so than okay. I think USC fans would. I, I mean, maybe I got a bad read here, but I, I think USC fans would appreciate the toughness that he would bring. And and, and a in a lot of ways, I think. He's See, very I think similar we. I,
1: I think we appreciate the toughness. I don't know if Kyle Whittingham's toughness is really appreciated on a grand scale. Maybe not. I mean, I, no no one else really appreciates uh, that video clip of him in the Utah dining hall when the fire alarm is going off and he doesn't budge. I haven't
0: seen that. Oh, before. my gosh.
1: Yeah. Okay. And this is for any listeners, too. Uh, Utah, uh, Kyle Whittingham, fire alarm. He's on a recruiting call and he doesn't budge. The rest of the dining hall evacuates. Kyle Whittingham is sitting at the table putting food in his mouth and uh, in the midst of the fire alarm, just talking on the phone, call Whittingham <laughs> afraid of nothing. He's got no time for your fire alarms. <laughs> um, all right. So where let's see among the, the results on Saturday, anything from Notre Dame? Uh, like to me, it was kind of like, just, just get the win and you know that you're in the playoff. So I don't, I don't come out of that game with hard Irish takeaways
0: no I don't either it was it, the whole game plan almost feel like they felt like they were just defensively they were very uh conservative um through most of the game second half they tightened up a little bit but they were just sort of content to let let USC drive a little bit and um we'll tackle them and 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 get out of here offensively i will tell you one thing that, that sort of jumped out was was flipping back and forth between that game and Texas A&M and it it was a it was a clear illustration of lim- arm talent limitations for Ian Book versus just watching like Kellen Mond. <laughs> like, like Ian Book floats those suckers, and he's accurate and, and But he's he. We could. There could be a little bit of a Jake Browning reveal in the playoffs for Ian Book. Oh. Like that's just something. Something to maybe consider. Okay. Something maybe think
1: So that means we've arrived. 74, 72. I mentioned to you that I may or may not, I'll never tell, may have had personal interest in the under in this game. And we had, we had we had, it at 41. We were cruising at 24-17 in the fourth quarter.
0: Even with the fumble recovery for a touchdown mixed in.
1: Fumble recovery for a touchdown broke it. That was the uh, that tied it at twenty
0: four. Okay, yeah. So there, that was your
1: that was that was when that went kaput. Yeah. At that point, then I'm just hanging back on my on my lock fight, uh, LSU plus three. And I, I'm also waiting to turn in the tomorrow's top twenty five. Today, we're we're waiting to close up shop with the whole uh, online coverage. Wait, basically just waiting on this game, and I go from you know, rooting for the under to loving the back and forth to thinking that it's incredible, all the twists and turns to just wanting it to end. Uh, LSU got in my instant take 74, 72, it gripped the nation. It made history for all those reasons. I'm excited, but man, LSU got screwed out of winning this game about six times. And while History will look back on this game while Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M fans that were there. will talk about Kellen Mond taking a terrible game and turning it into an excellent game based on what he was able to do in overtime. Um, I, I still look at this game and I'm like, man, that is the kind of game that LSU fans, even though the ultimate result was so minimal. I mean, you know, they finished the year nine and three instead of 10 and two, it might impact their new year six status, But ultimately, the long-lasting impacts of this loss are are pretty limited. But the emotional impact of that loss, given all the different breaks that did not go your way, really, really hurt. And uh, And even though LSU plus three cashed, my heart goes out to the Tiger fans.
0: I do, but at the same time, they didn't... They caught some bad breaks, but the narrative that they got screwed isn't accurate, is it? I mean, the... Kellen Mond's knee was down. All right, so that, that it's
1: it's a fan take to say we got screwed. I lean on bad breaks.
0: They were bad breaks. Right, right, right. But, just but like I'm saying bad like breaks like, happen. Right. So yes, like that, and I agree. Like it's it was a it was a bit of a, like a heartbreaking loss for LSU. Like I'm not I'm not I'm not negating like your perspective on that. I'm just saying like the the idea that LSU was a victim in this game to bad refereeing I think is is not accurate.
1: No, I thought that Texas A&M was going to win this game 20 uh I you know what what was the the score that I, I just threw out earlier 24-17. I thought LSU I thought Texas A&M was going to hold on for a 24-17 win. They were driving. Travion Williams holds on to that ball instead of fumbling it. It was going to be a 2-yard loss and the clock was probably going to continue to run. I mean, there were like 5 or 6 minutes left. Like that like the Travion Williams holds on to that ball, Texas A&M probably kills the clock, maybe kicks a field goal, Texas A&M wins that game. Like I I am I am totally in the idea that LSU did not get screwed. But after Travion Williams fumbles it, LSU runs it back for a touchdown, it's 24-24. I there were 5 or 6 play. I mean it it was like if you were, you're supposed to have what odds on a coin toss? 50-50, right? It was like they lost six coin tosses in a row. Is what it felt yeah. like.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I and and I wasn't happy with the final pass interference call and then subsequent, uh, um, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that that put a And M at the one inch line. But you also got to give a And M credit. I mean, they made some stupid plays.
1: I mean, Kendrick Rogers is ridiculous. Yeah. Because he showed up in the Clemson game. I mean, that was the reason why Texas A&M was in it against Clemson, and that's the reason why we came out of the Clemson game praising Kellen Mond was because he was able to, to take a close game situation, no huddle, clock winding down identify the target that looks like an avatar and put it in a place where he can make a play. I mean it's like like there's something to be said for his game management and understanding that. And so yes, I will allow Kellen Mond, a player who I have criticized greatly throughout this football season, to shine based on his play in the clutch again against a top ten opponent. Uh but man, I just whew, it was a it was a roller coaster ride of a game. To be dialed into it from the beginning because I feel like we got everybody else at the end, right? Where they were like, "Oh, I was watching this other thing. Oh, I was thinking about this other thing." More overtimes, more overtimes, and I'm just watching bodies getting pulled off the field left and right, and I'm watching these linemen like barely holding their own to get in and out of their stance. It was, it was, it was a, a battle of attrition out there on the field, man.
0: Well, and Chip, our our, our number. That we were battling. So you had LSU plus three, I had A and M minus three. So we're sweating through seven overtimes. <laughs> right. We're like not only like are we? Because because I'm invested in that. Like I want to, I want to win that that bet. But i so I'm like sitting here being like, all right, uh, LSU scored, but they missed the extra point um, or, or the two point conversion we got to get this thing to another overtime. I need A&M to score here. But, but not get the two-point two conversion. conversion. <laughs> so, like, it was this, like, all right, oh, A&M scored six and got the eight. Okay, I need you. LSU, come on now. Give me, like, if, if you're going to score, at least get this two-point conversion afterwards. So, it's like this, uh, it, it was it was, a, uh, it was a grind, man.
1: It was a grind to get through <laughs> that thing. 74-72 uh, history, as we said. I mean, again, and, like, the ultimate results here, uh, Texas A&M finishes 8-4, and four, LSU finishes 9-3. and three. Uh, I guess for Jimbo Fisher, you've got a lot of confidence moving forward, a lot more confidence and a lot more juice moving forward into the offseason. And uh, I guess for both these teams, I'm just going to load up on taking the under in their bowl game because their stats are all going to be screwed up.
0: Can you imagine like, how, how, how like just sort of annoyed would you be if you're uh... – you know Mike elko or or Dave Aranda
1: your total <laughs> defense <stance. laughs> yeah like
0: your like the numbers that go on your resume for this 2018 season like your scoring offense and total or scoring defense and total defense is just totally thrown out of whack for a game that basically accounts for like four uh, so that, that that was probably a little bit of a <laughs> a little bit of a downer for the numbers, but I'm sure they'll take the
1: win have you uh, have you ever heard about the Patriots throwing off the trends in analytics?
0: Yeah, what do they? Yeah, they like they like. Did I tell you about this? I don't. I mean, I've heard this. I don't know if I think I've heard it from you, but they like uh, get all funky late in the game and garbage time just to just to get their tendencies off.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like it almost seems like that. Like like we're going to be uh, we are going to be underrating Texas A and M and LSU's defensive statistics based right. on something like this.
0: Right. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Crazy. Well, what? Uh, what about how much? How much attention did you pay, and how much stock did you put into what happened in South Carolina, Clemson?
1: I did not put a ton of stock outside of uh, an individual recognition for Debo Samuel and an individual recognition for Jake Bentley, uh, Will Will Muschamp, I guess, uh, as well. Uh, Coach McClendon, you know, for putting together a good game plan to get some points on the board, but the way that The way that Brent Venables and Clemson's defense made an adjustment in the second half, I think negated whatever concerns I might have about Bentley throwing for 300 in one half.
0: Okay. I didn't watch much of that game. There was just too much going on. I knew Clemson would end up winning it. Um, I didn't watch much of it. But I don't know. Bentley threw for 510 or something.
1: Yeah. Again, like 300 was in the first half. Everything about the first half was concerning. But yeah. it was a new song, like new tone. Everything was different in the second half, and it was you know at, the reason that Bentley continued to pile up the yards was just because Clemson kept scoring too.
0: Um, Seven hundred forty-four yards of offense for Clemson is pretty stupid,
1: right? Like it's like just
0: that's, I, like Will Muschamp supposed to be a defensive guy. This is still a like just the nat- the, the way that game played out. I think you got to be disappointed if you're. Like I would rather, if I'm if I'm South Carolina, I, I almost would rather lose that game twenty-one to ten than whatever they did fifty-two to thirty-five or whatever it was. Um, just because if, if like are we really that far away defensively? Will yes. Where we get, get seven hundred forty-four yards of defense or Here offense?
1: Here we go. Ready? Thirty-seven uh, thirty-five against Missouri. Forty-eight, forty-four against Ole Miss, 35-31 against Florida, fifty-six to thirty-five against Clemson. That's just what for the last six weeks. That's what the Gamecocks have been.
0: Like, what are we like? If, if I'm a South Carolina fan, I'm like, what are we, man? Like, I mean, are we a, are we a defense? Are we? A, are, we're supposed to be this defensive-minded head coach with no offensive background. Now all of a sudden we're we're getting shootouts. Like, what am I to expect from next year? I, I don't know. Do you like, know what South Carolina
1: bit- is? I've got the answer. South Carolina is Missouri.
0: Yeah, yeah, Defen- but even Missouri, though, like Missouri this year had moments of being really, really good defensively up front, not necessarily on the back end, but up front.
1: But the, I, uh, I, I attribute that also to just like some scene, you know. I mean, they're not going to have a senior class of Terry Beckner and the rest of those defensive tackles and defensive ends that were like literally all upperclassmen. I don't, right. I don't think they backfill. Uh, and, and maintain that level of production. I think that South Carolina this year was a, uh, man, this sounds so insulting, but I promise it's not. The, South Carolina this year was a replacement-level SEC team. And a replacement-level yeah. SEC team still gets you to a bowl game, uh, has you competitive most of the time, and, and that's great. But, um, yeah, they, they did not have one identity or one thing that made them better than everyone else on their schedule.
0: Um, what? A, so should we get any more games you want to touch on I guess we haven't touched on the Iron Bowl yet Uh, we got a few coaching moves we got to get to too though
1: yeah I was gonna uh, we talked about Clay Hilton but when I mean I, I I'm sitting here I want to document this it is 333 on Eastern time on Sunday afternoon I am preparing my body for this ridiculous scenario of head coach Mack Brown and defensive coordinator Gene Chiswick.
0: I know. <laughs> I mean, it's it, the 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 noise for this one is is crazy.
1: It's out of control.
0: Yeah, like this is this not even it doesn't even appear to be like a possibility. All of a sudden, it's like
1: no, it's happening. People
0: would be surprised if it doesn't happen, <laughs> right? And we're we're and we're hours away from removed from Larry Fedora being fired. Uh, what are you to make of this?
1: That it makes in a in a year where Kansas, a basketball school with a thriving basketball program in a very stable situation where Kansas just needed some people that were going to raise money so they could invest it. It seems to follow that game plan to get someone who's going to be able to raise money so that they can invest it. On a microscopic level, and I, I think that this was the biggest thing that stands out to me in, in the immediate reaction. Like, Bubba Cunningham could have decided that this was going to be the way it was going to go even before the game. But did you see Larry Fedora's comments about the fight after the game?
0: No, I didn't.
1: I didn't see a fight. Co- coach, you... Uh, both teams, there's a bench-clearing brawl in the end zone. I I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, coach, the, like coaches had to split up that fight. I didn't see a fight. I think their team was celebrating, and I think our team was celebrating. Well, what was your team celebrating? I think our team um, was in the Enza. I mean... Oh, my God. Seriously, Barton, like, from the CTE comments, our football is under attack, our country's going down the drain. Like, I just... I just think that I would not be surprised if power players at North Carolina just want to have somebody else speak in for the program. You know. Yeah. And Mac Brown will speak for the program.
0: Like, I was trying to think of a comparison of what a Mac Brown hire would would be.
1: It's less miles.
0: I, I I think it's. I found a, a different one that I I went to feels like a little bit like Lou Holtz to South Carolina. Ooh. And to be fair, there was sort of, there was a certain level of success that arose out of that one. I mean, they went from, uh, Oh, like one and 11 before he got there to, Oh, Oh, and 12 to first year to eight and four. And then a couple of just sort of mediocre kind of bowl seasons. Um, so, you know, I, I would guess the South Carolina fans were kind of probably okay with the Lou Holtz era. Th- this, I mean, this hire just seems so ridiculous to me. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like look at it optimistically. Have
1: you seen the latest uh, Kirk Bowles, Austin American Statesman wrinkle to it? Gene Chiswick and Cliff Kingsbury. And Cliff
0: Kingsbury. I find that one hard to believe.
1: Okay, yeah, but Gene is like so. Uh, Dennis Dodd had it. And he was on this podcast when we were just shooting the breeze saying, you know, he, he threw out Gene Chiswick and Seth Luttrell, two former Fedora assistants, both spent time in Chapel Hill and both, you know, are going to have relationships with Bubba Cunningham. My theory when it became clear that Fedora getting ousted was uh, a likelihood or at least a strong potential, I. I told friends of mine, I was like, it, it, it feels like the kind of coaching search where they've got G, where Bubba Cunningham has Gene Chiswick in his back pocket as his fallback. He's going to interview a couple coaches and maybe just go with what's comfortable. I had no idea that we were going to combine the Mac Brown and the Gene Chiswick scenario and doing so. I mean, do you even have to pay those two coaches that much money? Because it could be a money saver.
0: I would hope you ain't gonna pay them too much. I I don't want to be overly judgy, but like when Mac Brown is in like the coaches, the coaches screening for those these big games. Oh, the mega his
1: sitting, mega cast performance is ridiculous.
0: They're terrible. When he when he used to call games when he was a color cu- guy calling games, like this is my like my my I measure this isn't this isn't the way I typically measure people, but like if I feel like I know more than you football wise, like I haven't. I, I've been out of like the trenches for 15 years now, which is crazy to say it. But if, 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 you, if, if, I'm teach- if I would have to teach you things, like that's what I feel like when I listen to Mac Brown. Just because someone coached the game doesn't mean that they're still like dialed in and, and know it well. I don't get the impression that Mac Brown is dialed in and knows the game well. And he probably didn't really at the tail end of his Texas tenure either, which is probably a reason why... It, not, not to say he never did. I mean, Mac Brown has forgotten more about football than maybe I would ever know. I think he's forgotten a lot, though. <laughs> like, I think, I think that, that, that forgotten is is, is grow is, is increasingly getting higher and more. I, I just don't – I'm not buying it that this guy would be a good coach. And I'm not necessarily buying it that Gene Chiswick would be a good defensive coordinator either. So if they're going to go that route, uh, I don't know. Like it feels like to me it's a waste of a, a light coaching carousel market where you, or where it's a, it's a, what a buyer's market, um, and and you sort of got your choice of 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 coaches. I mean, go get Scott Satterfield. That would it. There, I I don't know how. I don't know who's like in what world Scott Satterfield wouldn't be a successful hire there. I I've got a hard time seeing a scenario where Scott Satterfield doesn't have that program competitive. I see I see a lot of worlds where or Gene Chizik and and uh, uh, Mac Brown aren't, but hey, I've been wrong before.
1: I think that they could have kept Larry Fedora, and I think that team could have won eight games next year. Yeah, they Great. were so so bad at quarterback. <laughs> they were so like, and this is there it, any
0: reason I they think they're going to get better at quarterback
1: though? I mean, graduate it just it, literally anybody. Who can get out there? Any graduate transfer has the opportunity to come in. I mean, this is uh, a team that lost to Cal by a touchdown, that beat Pitt, that lost to Virginia Tech by three, that lost to Syracuse in double overtime by three, um, that lost by one score to Duke. I mean, it's just they lost a once, you know, in overtime to NC State. They, they were not like, they were not non competitive. They were two and nine but they were not a non-competitive Power Five football team. They just they kept losing. And normally, I look at teams like that, and I think that there is an opportunity for the bounces to go the other way the following season. Now, if there's deeper reasons for Bubba Cunningham to believe that Larry Fedora and his message and his methods and his game in-game management or his game plan preparation was the reason why they kept falling on the wrong side of these very thin margins, then I totally understand and uh, respect Bubba Cunningham's decision. But I, I look at North Carolina as a team that will probably next year be able to win six or seven games, regardless of who's coaching it, just based on the idea that you're not going to fall on the short end uh, that many times in a row.
0: I guess, man. But he's still, you know, he still is eight and five with Mitch Trubisky. He's still, I mean, this is five wins in two seasons. Uh, and I mean, if you can't find a quarterback, that's on him. I mean, they, they tried a quarterback. They tried last year, they tried to find a grad transfer quarterback and Brandon Harris. Yeah. And that, that, you know, they had to go back to their other guys. Um, so I don't know. Maybe you're right, but, uh, You know, if they're going to fire him for Mac Brown, then uh, you know, hey, I'll I'll I'll, I'll pull up a chair. Looking forward to seeing what happens.
1: There is a stylistic shift. Also, if you, um, the greatest North Carolina football teams have been led by their defenses. The most successful, and if I mean, outside of Mitchell Trubisky, the most successful sort of like run of North Carolina players in the NFL have all been defensive players. You might be able to say that the North Carolina fan base is going to be more entertained, more willing to buy tickets and more willing to invest with a team that maybe looks more like Kentucky. How about this? They might be more willing to invest in a Kentucky that looks like Mark Stoops than a Kentucky that looks like how mummy with Mike Leach OC and the Larry Fedora investment is the Hal Mummy investment, and maybe the play as an athletic director and as a leader of the program is that you go w- more with the Mark Stoops. And I guess that if you're investing in Mac Brown, who had nasty defenses during the 97 and 98 years where they won 10, 11 games, and Gene Chiswick, especially, then you're investing in defense. And I think that if you're investing in defense, then I think that you are matching the taste of your fan base.
0: Okay. I, I didn't... I didn't know that uh, North Carolina's fan base was this uh, blue-collar, hard-nosed, defensive, Steel City types.
1: Hey, nah, it's, it's no, it's not if, that. It's, you know what it is? It's I care about basketball more, and I just want to be competitive. And when you have a good defense, you're competitive. You can walk into the game in the middle of the first quarter, and you're not down 21 nothing. You can, you know, like you you can have an entertaining third and fourth quarter pretty much every single time you show up to the stadium. And because college football is not about, uh, winning the national championship, you're always in the mix. You're always putting on a show and you're keeping your fans invested and on campus until the basketball season starts.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it sounds like it's at North, the North Carolina gig is just about hey, screw style. Let's, let's, let's get competitive. Um, and if you think Mac Brown will do that, then then great, then great. Uh, let, I'm I'm anxious to see it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Texas Tech, getting rid of Kingsbury.
0: I hate. You know what, man? I tweeted this today. I really wish that had worked out. It just just felt right. You know, native son, one of the best offensive minds out there. Uh, just. I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it would have been fun for that to be, to, to work. You know, Cliff Kingsbury, sort of a, it, it, he's a good face of the program.
1: Do you think he's, Fedora lands there?
0: Do I think Fedora does? Yeah. Um, As a head coach? Yeah. I hadn't thought about it. Do you, do you think, I mean, the, the name that has created, that's gotten a little bit of early buzz is Brent Venables. <laughs> Listen. You're not a believer in that one?
1: No. Brent Venables is going to have his name attached to anything and everything.
0: I don't know. Like, are you saying that that you're not buying that they would have a shot at him?
1: I am not buying that Brent Venables is as much of a candidate for other jobs as he is a very viable coaching candidate on paper. It's interesting. If I'm an insider and I'm calling agents and I'm asking for names – I think any agent feels comfortable throwing Brent Venable's name on any Power Five opening because, yes, of course, that school would love to have Brent Venable's. I think it does not match Brent Venable's interest in leaving Clemson.
0: But he's got to leave sometime, doesn't he? No, I don't think so. So he may just be a uh, Bud Foster, just a career coordinator? Yep.
1: Huh. I don't know if it gets better as a defensive coach.
0: No, but man, these guys are wired that, that they're just. I mean, I just got to believe he wants his his own gig. Now I don't. I don't know Brent Venables, so I could be wrong. Um, but
1: Tony Elliott's going to have his name attached to anything too. And I don't know if Tony Elliott wants to leave.
0: <laughs> well, clearly it's a good setup there. Clearly those guys want to stay, and they're going to. They're only going to leave for the right job. I just wonder if uh, that's. I mean, Brent Venables isn't going to get like. He's not gonna get like the Oklahoma job. I mean, he's he's gonna if he wants to leave, he's gonna have to take a a power five tier two job. You know, he's not gonna get like a, a USC or an Oklahoma or a Alabama. I mean, so I, I mean, it's like you can win in the Big Twelve, especially if you can play some defense. And Brent Venables is a guy that has has you know shown. That he can marry good defense with explosive offense, uh, I, I, I don't know. It, it makes some sense to me, um, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe, but maybe it's wishful thinking on on it, on Texas Tech's part.
1: Yeah, I don't. I think I if think that right. the, I think the freaks and the fits that you get at Clemson, defensively, are just much much better than what you could get at Texas Tech.
0: um I mean look yes Tech L- Lubbock is is not one of the easier places to recruit to but there's enough talent in Texas that I gotta feel like if you develop the right way if you evaluate the right way that you can get players in there that are that are are, are really good and you can produce there and I, I I would suspect that Brent Venables is someone that will be able to recruit and develop um so I'm I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by the possibility. If you know, I don't know where else they go initially. Um, Seth Luttrell, I guess, kind of right. That's that sort of route. But
1: like what? Neil Brown. That's another one. I mean, like like Neil Brown and Seth Luttrell and Scott Satterfield. Those are definitive, life-changing upgrades (laughs) that are to Cliff Kingsbury. No, I'm talking about taking a Texas Tech job or any oh, Power Five you. job. I got you. Is got like, you. like that is, that is something where it's like, yes, no brainer. They come, they give you the opportunities, they give you the keys, they give you the resources. You've never had this before. You are a head coach in football. You believe that you can get it done. This is your opportunity. Let's go do it. I just think that Brent Venables has different math.
0: I guess we'll find out. He may. I just don't. If 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 I'm Texas Tech, part of my point is I don't get that excited about like going like Seth Luttrell or certainly not Larry Fedora. I mean, you just had one of the best offensive minds out there, and and didn't work. So, you know, I'm not always a fan of just like going the anti your last coach, but I mean, it was it it was close at Texas Tech. Yeah, I think if if you you know. You don't have to scrap like the, the air raid, but find someone that can at least sort of instill some, some toughness defensively and, and get you culturally right to win some close games. Uh, that may be all you're kind of missing.
1: See, and I sound like a hypocrite because uh, what you're suggesting is exactly what I was suggesting as the prescription for North Carolina. The zig then zag. You're – like I, I am I am suggesting for North Carolina an anti Fedora with Mac Brown and Gene Chiswick.
0: Right. But if they're bringing in Cliff Kingsbury as their OC, I that's, that, ante- that's anti Fedora. I, I,
1: I put much I put so much more in Dennis's reporting about Gene Chiswick being either like I mean, did you see that that one part of this where like regardless of how this ends up going on who gets hired, the belief is that Gene Chiswick is a sounding board. For Bubba Cunningham with this hire, huh. like well, has been a confidant in this situation.
0: Hey, that's pretty uh, in pretty good shape there, Gene. That'll be interesting, man. I just think there's like it's just it, it's a I, I don't know. Like I, I guess part of my my deal is when you're when there's these new jobs that are coming open, and whether it's Kansas, whether it's North Carolina. Uh, Texas Tech. Like I am in favor of giving the next guy a chance, not because by any like like what's fair, you know, principles, but just sort of a I want to see what these next guys got. I want to see what's behind door number two. I know what Mac Brown's got. I know what Les Miles has got. I want to see what's behind door number two. And I guess it's easier to for me to sit from the sidelines and say that than from the AD chair, who's who's being judged and measured on it.
1: Did you see the crowd for Carolina State? No, it was pretty bad. I mean, it was 39 degrees and rainy for starters. Your team has won two games. There was definitely more red in the stadium, but even then, it was a loosely. Uh, Keenan Stadium also holds the North Carolina High School Athletic Association state championship football games sometimes. Like they'll alternate, like the, you know, they'll have the 4A, like the 4A, and the NC State will have the 4A, you know, it's, but it is lightly attended. Lower bowl half filled. And it was slightly less than high school state championship full.
0: Yeah, that's not a good look. I think Dude, Van- Van- in Nashville, Vanderbilt was uh, like it was a Tennessee home game, and Vanderbilt won their third straight, thirty-eight thirteen. Like it's just weird. Like these these uh, this weekend of the year, you kind of find out who, who the hardcore fan bases are.
1: Um, the the Vols had a gut check game and uh kind of crapped their pants
0: yeah well you know what's funny is vanderbilt's got better players in them like legitimately has better players
1: like they 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 are performing they are performing better like they might not have been better prospects but But they are better players
0: they're better players now right like that that and i I think it speaks to tennessee's failure to develop primarily under butch jones and like we're gonna Like Vanderbilt has, depending on who goes pro, like what underclassmen go pro, like they've got about six NFL. They got they could have six guys on NFL rosters next year, which is and and Tennessee may have zero, and so it it's it's just a stark contrast where you're talking about a team that's that has not like Tennessee get Vanderbilt has to choose from what Tennessee doesn't want. I mean that's the reality, and yet Vanderbilt has develop them into better players i think that's a it's a that's a stain on butch jones more than anything else uh but it probably it's it's it can be looked both two ways of Derek mason it's a one hey good job you have developed him but two man should not you be better in six and six mm. so it's, it's it's hard to know which way to spin it for vanderbilt but i think that's that's objectively true is, is vanderbilt had better players in tennessee on saturday
1: interesting uh anything else from your notebook We've run a little long here. We'll be back with you on Tuesday night uh, with another show for sure. What? Uh, that's, a, that's all I got, man. I'm, I'm, I'm cleaned out. Taked out. Yeah. got all the takes. Uh, I'm, you know, we could have even more for you uh, in terms of the coaching carousel. We'll have our instant reaction to what the college football playoff committee says about Oklahoma versus Ohio State and the rest of the college football playoff picture. Uh, plus, a lot more looking ahead to championship week. Uh, Barton, thank you very much. Deserve!